Be part of an innovative fine arts community immersed in a top research university. Carnegie Mellon University's School of Music's world-class vocal department constantly works at the cutting edge of musical art forms. CMU performance faculty are creating projects that leverage musicians' skill sets in unique and applicable ways. Students are challenged to think outside the box as they engage with non-traditional performance spaces, collaboration with electronics, and improvisation, alongside a robust program of traditional studies, languages, recitals, and operas. To learn more about Carnegie Mellon University and to apply, visit the link in the show notes of this episode. This is So Lit Song Lit, a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative, where we reimagine the repertoire by introducing less familiar art songs through sound clips and lively discussion. I'm vocal coach Ellen Rissinger. And I'm soprano Tony Marie Palmertree. Join us as we explore this exciting repertoire. So Lit, So Lit, reimagining the repertoire. This week, my co-host Tony couldn't be here with us, but we do have a guest, Dr. Juanita Ulloa. Ulloa. Dr. Ulloa is the collector and editor of the Gomezanda Song Collection in three volumes, which I actually discovered because I was teaching a class in Spanish diction and Spanish and Latin American song. And the student who was covering Mexico came to me and said, I found a listing where they recommend these Gomezanda songs. Could we get them in the library? Oh, I love your student. Right? So we found these songs and they're gorgeous. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Gomezanda himself, how he fits into the history of song literature, and also about how the books are laid out, because I love the way these books are laid out. So tell us a little bit about Gomezanda. When I was doing my doctorate, before doing the doctorate, I had discovered Gomezanda while in Mexico. Let me just backtrack with a little bit about me. After doing regular music degrees in the U.S., after being raised in Mexico and Panama and Spain, and, and then I sang opera for eight years, but I quickly saw that my talents were the diversity and changing styles over an opera career, at least at a high level. That always led me going back to Mexico. And it also led back to roots of something I'd grown up listening to, but only hearing men sing primarily, which was mariachi. I grew up in Mexico City. So they're on every street corner, they're in every restaurant, you just grow up hearing that repertoire. Um, but it never occurred to me to perform it because I only saw men doing it, and it just didn't happen. And so that was always on the side as I was studying piano, classical singing, which is what's available in academic programs, uh, at least up until recently. And so as I took off with this trying out mariachi, what they started calling me was an operachi singer. I set about to study all that, and that was the topic of, of what led me to perform mariachi in many, many programs all over the world, and that led me to Gomesanda ultimately, because Gomesanda was a pupil of Manuel M. Ponce, and Manuel M. Ponce is known as the father of Mexican song. Mm -hmm. uh, he lived in the 
late 1800s, early 1900s. He died in 1948. By contrast to Ponce, Gomezanda grew up until age 14 in Jalisco, in, in mariachi land, we like to say, because mariachi is the, the west coast of Mexico from about the 1830s on. So there was this embedded nationalistic music happening on the West Coast that Gomezanda grew up with. His original name was Antonio Gomez de Anda. At age 14, when his family moved to Mexico City, he had the opportunity to find out that Manuel Ponce lived in his neighborhood, in his colonia. And he got to start studying piano with him, and he already was studying piano. But this is when he got more serious, and two or so years later, he entered the conservatory and started studying with Julian Carrillo, and he continued with Ponce, one of them with piano, the other with composition. That combination of his roots with mariachi, Ponce's influences of who are we and collecting song, and the classical training is what Gomezanda's all about when you put it all together. Gomezanda took Ponce's nationalistic desires very seriously. And he had more folk in his blood and veins than Ponce himself. And so Gomezanda would take all these folk tunes from Lagos de Moreno, where he grew up, and he would apply them into songs, whether it was uh, his primar primary output is piano, concerto music, and piano solos. Before I began the doctorate, was I had already discovered in the Library of Congress the world's first mariachi opera. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. He actually composed a mariachi opera. He did the very first one, and it's originally called La Virgen de San Juan. Then he renames it in the mid-1930s. Well, that was in 1929 or so. So that that's the date I mark, the first mariachi opera, or ranchera opera, as we like to call it in Mexico. Ranchera means music from the ranch. It originally was out there and not urban, per se. In the mid-30s, he changed it to the word mariachi with an E on the end. Primera Opera Ranchera Mexicana. And to date, that's not been performed. So to get into the songs a little bit, um, on the website where my student had found these, it was written by a voice teacher who was saying that these songs were probably a good not not substitute or replacement, but certainly like a good parallel, good comparison to the 24 Italian art songs, and that they're, uh, they would be appropriate for beginners as well as professionals, partly because of the language, because Spanish with five vowels is very similar to Italian and far has far fewer vowels than French and German, but also because the melodies themselves are just so accessible. I agree. And, and he has lots more that I didn't include. I mean, if you take a song like Tiernamente, it's, and most of these songs that I chose are just two pages. I mean, I tried to choose things that weren't super long, that teachers could use in the university so that you can assign new songs each semester and it's not something they have to work on you know, for four semesters to uh, perform. To me, Tiernamente, tenderly, is just a love song about that first kiss.
honestly, this is the one that my students sang in class, and I remember thinking, this feels like Puccini. Oh, I'm so glad you said that, because that's what I felt too. And going back to uh, Gomesanda and Ponce, when Ponce was training Gomesanda as a concert pianist, Ponce was responsible for bringing Debussy to Mexico. And so the first Debussy that was ever performed included Gomesanda playing it in those piano recitals. And so if you hear in volume one of the Gomesanda books, you'll start to hear in his later phase some richer and more kind of not quite Debussy, but definitely that feel, even though it's still got a nationalistic tone to it. There's a touch of it in Tiernamente too, uh, but not as much. And definitely, uh, we always want to honor the greats, no matter what country they're from, right? <laughs> exactly. No, and I find that when you're looking at a new composer, if you have somebody that you can kind of compare them to, even just a little bit, it can give you a better sense of how you want to handle the style. Yes, absolutely. Since you mentioned Volume 1, Volume 1 is actually a collection of female poets, right? Yes. By the way, the reason I was interested in Gomesanda was because he seemed to have a feeling for wanting to address a female perspective, even though it wasn't by any means the bulk of his repertoire. But in volume three, he writes a song called Soy Mexicana, and it's, it's a ranchera um, that's a more folky song that I would sing as a female in a lower range, and it's obviously meant to be sung by a female, but it's a total female perspective. And then volume one is what you were talking about. And... This is one that I'm really having a lot of fun with. So he, um, it, he died in 1961, and he wrote this collection for, based on women poets in the 1950s. And so this is the first time he decided to not write his own lyrics, and it liberated him. And that's why I think the piano music becomes a lot more interesting, because he got more time to kind of develop it. Exactly. And it seems like every song has a slightly different piano accompaniment, so it feels like he's actually experimenting with different styles and different timbres in every song. I agree with that completely. And if you, <laughs> and so it, it becomes challenging to think about, oh, well, how am I going to interpret that? Am I going to change along with that? Or, you know, and, and provide the same variety that he's going to, I, I would lean that way personally. But some people might want to unite it. Uh, anything goes. The title of the set is El Pensamiento Poético de la Mujer Mexicana, Poetic Thoughts by Mexican Women. And it, what was really interesting about this is that there was a hodgepodge of backgrounds in these women, and remarkably little is known about any of them. All except number one. Number one, detente, mm -hmm. which means, by the way, just the title in and of itself is very, it throws you into, wow, what does she mean? Because that, that word means lots of different things. The full set takes 12 minutes. The focus of anyone wanting to sing it should be song number one and really studying the text for a long time. And I confess, after translating and studying that text for even two years, I'm still not always sure what she meant in certain places. And who is this woman? This woman is Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. And Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz was 
I like to call her the first feminist of the Americas because she lived 1600 to 1659. I mean, that's a long time ago and she had a mind of her own and we have it documented because she wrote so many poems and so much music. She wrote music. In those days, you were basically allowed to marry someone or go to a convent and she chose the convent so that she could do her writing and her writing became so deep and so instructive that there were kings and all kinds of people consulting with her in the convent and she became very elevated in status until the very end where they tried to bring her down because they felt she was too powerful for a woman. just look at the Bomesanda's musical setting, he kept it pretty simple. I was going to say, it feels very simple. It feels very, in this case, almost 24 Italian art songs. The piano part is relatively unmarked. There are a few moments when I have a few grace notey things, but in general, it's very chordal. Yes, and don't be fooled because this is Baroque Spanish. This is like Shakespeare. But you know, when Quilter set Shakespeare, he took very few words to do a beautiful expanded setting. This is the opposite. This is a whole lot of words with very simple music setting. I do want to talk about Auna Golondrina, especially because the piano part, again, is so different from everything else. There's this gorgeous filigree. There's such a great fragility to what's in the piano part underneath this gorgeous vocal line. Yes. So his piano part's describing that bird in flight, and the melody is a little bit more grounded, just talking about, oh, beautiful birds, enchanting bird. How is it? What is it that allows you to fly? What is it? Um, I find, and this song is more romantic, uh, as is the previous one, Mariposas Azules. So they're more kind of standard romantic classical art song. Would you agree with that? Yes, totally. Okay. Um, and this one might be, Auna Golondrina might be late romantic. Yeah, because it's got a little, again, a hint, a hint of Debussy in the, le in the left hand, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm feeling the French. Oh, good, good. You're getting these major seven chords, and I think that's what's making me feel the French a little bit. Oh, I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you. And you do re need a really good pianist to play these songs, so definitely hunt down a great pianist if you're going to perform these. And there are some tips, for example, this song is 
three pages long. And if you go to the end, but don't really end it, you can go back to measure 24 and just because there's been a little pause right before there. And you can think about it a little more deeply and do that whole last page again with a whole different interpretation. Almost the same way as we would with some of the Obrador songs, where we have the possibility of going back and repeating parts of it. Yeah, especially da, 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 da. That piece just goes by so fast, right? Totally. It's like 30 seconds of beauty. And then we're like, wait, I need more. I need more. Exactly. Exactly. I wanted to make sure to say one of the things I really love about these books is that every volume has every song in two different keys. So not only is it great for anybody on the professional end because it gives us another language and something new to work on, but it's also a great choice for beginners and especially as a pedagogical tool because you have these choices as to where your voice is living right then and your teacher can find the key that really works for you. That's a really great thing. Thank you very much. And, And if you're not finding your key, just approach me. You can write me. I'll make sure to put your email address in the show notes for everyone. Thank you. Yeah. And also we have the, not just the literal translations and the IPA, but we have the poetic translation below the literal translation so that you can know what it re- the word really means. <laughs> yes, word for word does not always give us the actual gist of what's going on. So just, just reach out to me if you have questions. I'd love to help you guys with that, and it'd be really, really fun. And if you have no money, you can go look up the dissertation. It has a couple of these songs in there, not all, not all by any means or different keys, but it's a starting place. I understand singers have no money at certain points when they're students. And we also do occasionally have uh, webinars, uh, so do contact me about that. I often do online webinars, uh, and we do them every summer, three or four. So stay in touch with me. And as far as purchase information, this is the Gomez and the Song collection in three volumes. Uh, which are available right now at Classical Vocal Reprints. Our guest today was Dr. Juanita Ulloa, and her contact information will be available in the show notes. Musical performances for this episode were performed by Tony Marie and Ellen and recorded at the Camp Recording Studio in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. Purchase information for the scores discussed in this episode are available in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find this podcast. Episodes drop every first, third, and fifth Thursday of the month. So Lit Songlit is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. 
When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org audit.